bum bum bottom 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 bum b
No, I look Ottawa. like a potato that's been left out in the sun. Not accurate. <laughs> everybody, uh, everybody compliment Brad on his head. Yeah, the skull shape. <laughs> I want to hear all skull shape compliments. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, that is the only thing we have accomplished in our prep for Comic-Con because we're recording this on Saturday. A week from today, I think we'll be in Hall H getting ready to watch some Marvel Studios presentations. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, hopefully. Uh, but, we, but we leave on Tuesday. We leave in three days. And we've got haircuts, but not much else. Yeah, I did do like a slight like dig through my boxes of T-shirts and I pulled some shirts I want to wear. I do have to uh, dig through our mountain of dirty clothes because for some reason, I can't find any of my brassiers. <laughs> All of my enormous brassiers are missing. <laughs> and I've just been wearing the same one for days. We will find them. <laughs> uh, but in, before we do that, Lisa, we have to record four intros and outros to these creator corner conversations. We cannot leave Virginia without recording these intros and outros. We've got a lot on our plate. As nervous. per usual. As per usual, as per usual. But we're talking Survival Street this week. Not this week, today, because this week we're gonna be talking about a lot of people. But we'll be promoting this episode all week long and all month long as we build up to Survival Street's release from Dark Horse on August 3rd. Now, Lisa, and, and we talk about this a little bit with James and Jim, but I was very concerned that you were not going to enjoy Survival Street, which is like this, without like getting into the legalities of things, it's like a, 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 a Mad Max Fury Road twist on Sesame Street. I think that it's um, legally protected under like the the realm of like fair use parody. Yeah, yeah, but, but you hold the Muppets, Sesame Street, Jim Henson, in very high regard. Well, they they had a big fuzzy three-fingered hand oh. in raising me. Oh. Unless oh. it's Telly Monster, Telly Monster has five. Okay. As does Ernie and Bert. Oh boy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so obviously you you, you know how many digits the there are, so you're excited about Muppets in general. When I watch the Muppet movie, the from I don't know. A few years ago. A few years the ago, most recent like reboot. Every time I hear the song are you a man or are you a Muppet? Mm -hmm. I cry because I'm a Muppet. Right, And right. Um, it's a, like a like an anthem for me. But were you surprised? I don't want to spoil what you felt about Survival Street, but were you surprised by your reaction to Survival Street? I was surprised by their approach to Survival Street because I become, I'm very cautious when it comes to like adaptations or hot takes mm -hmm. on the Muppets mm -hmm. because they are sacred to me. Right. I think that they represent um, a naivete, an innocence, um, like gr good intentions. And they are educators or edutainers. Yeah, and, and to me, being crude, rude, lewd, <laughs> all of those rhyming words is not terribly inspired or creative to me. And we've seen versions of that from Peter Jackson and Henson's team uh, in the more recent iterations, stuff like the Happy Time Murders, mm -hmm. and you have not, like, you've not gelled with it. For the most part, no. There is a few adaptations that I really enjoy. I really like Avenue Q, mm. the musical, because they have a number 
uh, about, I, I'm going to misquote it, but it's like, you can be as loud as the hell you want when you're making love. Mm. I feel that is like a generous, kind, um, like a pre-K inspired <laughs> um, rule where it's just like, hey, let's celebrate life. Yeah. Let's le let's um leave room for joy. And we what, are living in a neighborhood. What Survival Street does that I think Avenue Q does as well is never lose the heart and humanity and the connectivity and the empathy that was crucial to the Muppets and Sesame Street and things like that. It's logically extrapolating those messages to a situation that is very adult very dystopian and very extreme. And very funny. Mm-hmm, hilarious. Yeah, but uh, as you're going to hear in this conversation, we get pretty serious right up quick uh, because we love these characters or the creation that they are manipulating so much. I think that it is important to mention that we did have this conversation several days ago. This is from July 4th. We were all in a mood. Yes. So I think that that did kind of color our conversation yes. a little bit. But I would argue in the best way possible. I think it's an important conversation to have. And and they say that like, and I agree, that humor and extremity is some sometimes the best route to the heart of the matter mm. um, because it disarms you and goes like, oh, this is a conversation that is uncomfortable, but needs to happen. But before we get into that conversation, let's just read a quick synopsis of Survival Street. Uh, like I said, the first issue comes out on August 3rd. The Zero issue is out now, and you can find it and read it. Links in the show notes. But here's the basic setup for Survival Street number one. After an unbridled wave of corporations take over America, the country is left completely dysregulated and effectively carved up into feudal states where billionaires and businesses make their own laws. Among the wreckage, mass privatization shuts down public broadcasting, forcing all the beloved edutainers out on the down and dirty streets. One group of them stick together, determined to keep helping kids across the country and do it by becoming an A-team-esque band of mercenaries fighting for and educating kids in the crumbling corporate war zone of new best America. I'd like to give a, like a little rundown of the characters. Yeah. There's Hippie the Hippo, which is like, my interpretation is a take on Big Bird. There is Tony the Troll, who is Oscar the Grouch. Um, there is Birdie, there is Gurgle, and there is Herbert, who is like a Grover spin. And Grover is a character that's very dear to me. I love Captain Vegetable and Super Grover. And Corporal Fairness is um, a very intriguing take on that character. Yes, and Lisa has some revelations about the relationships of these characters in the midst of this conversation. No, I think that that was actually oh. after the conversation finished and it blew my mind. I did not see it at all. So should we talk about that on the outro? Maybe. Okay, well, let's get into this conversation, this deep, thoughtful, considered conversation about Survival Street that's also a richly, wildly entertaining and grotesque comic book. James and Jim, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. You have entered the love nest. 
It's so cozy. <laughs> I love it in here. We put out so many pillows. We lit all the candles. Dare I say it warm and fuzzy? A little furry in here? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now, let's have that special portion of the episode where we have a not awkward introduction of your individual voices to make things not confusing for our listeners. James, if you could introduce yourself. Hi. So I am James Asmus, co-writer, co-creator with uh, Jim and our artist, Abelay Kusinov. Um, and it's so nice to be in your ears today. Yeah. And Jim, it's your turn. Introduce yourself. Hello, I am Jim Pistante, the Jim of Jim and James, uh, to really make it super confusing for all of you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, equally happy to be doing things to your ears. Um, I, I, I called first question because I am dying to know which one of you, or, or, or it may be both of you, were raised on PBS and what was your jam? I'll go first. I was only allowed to watch PBS on weekdays. I was allowed to watch cartoons on Saturday morning only. And But for some reason, socialized television, I was allowed to watch all of the time. So I loved Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers. And I had a really not cute uh, Sherry Lewis slam chops play along phase when oh. I was like... 11 and 12 like way too old for it i was just like into it um i uh i i was much more of the um action figure cartoon uh uh that was my obsession much more but i will say i did always love sesame street i did love mr rogers and um i think what kept pbs shows being a bigger um weight in my brain though is that my mom ran a daycare out of our house the entire time i was growing up wow and so that's what she would have on for them so much of the time so i will say i watched the full slate of pbs shows even whether in background or sitting down with kids or you know for lunch or whatever truly from the dawn of my memory until i moved out for college so <laughs> um I have I have maybe too much of a data bank of that. Yeah, I I also obviously you know, being of a certain generation, watched a ton of Sesame Street, Mister Rogers. Um, I also remember watching a lot of Fraggle Rock. Which correct oh, yeah. me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that HBO? It was HBO. That's why I never it was got HBO. To okay. Yeah, well, uh, my parents were super cool. No, uh, we, yeah, I, I remember watching like Frackle Rock as a kid too. Uh, but again, same like action. Uh, it, to be honest, like I, <laughs> the earliest memories of my TV are being with uh, a babysitter and watching soap operas. So oh, that's funny. Less, less educational, at least on, a, on an ABC level. Although I will say in terms of like puppet shows, Muppets were much more my jam. Like mm -hmm. I loved reruns of the Muppet show. I loved mm -hmm. Muppets mm -hmm. take Manhattan. Like our copy of that was one of my favorite things to watch uh, growing up. So yeah, we had, we had VHS taped all of the Muppet movies off of television, uh, like off of TV. So we nice. would like have the eighties commercials like in there. And it was <laughs> the best. How do you feel like um, Sesame street and 
the Muppets and the Muppet Show. How do you feel like these these programs shaped your values? I, I so I'm a. The trajectory of my life is that I started off really earnestly believing in everything anyone told me. <laughs> um, and so every um, value or, um, you know, way the world works, I really took to heart and, and, and believed wholeheartedly and earnestly. And I, that that's a lovely thing when you start off with um, things like, shows telling you about caring and understanding other people's perspectives and sharing and empathy and stuff like that. And so that I've, I've kept to heart, but you know, life as I go on has um, disillusioned me of some other things people told me growing up and like, like I'm not, I'm no longer in Catholicism, which I grew up heavily uh, only in Catholic schools my whole life and stuff like that. So um that that I fell out of, but I still believe in so many of the lessons from kind of the the Mister Rogers of the world. You know mm. what I mean? Um, even even when it's hard in a modern day, and you see a lot of people who don't share those values, don't share that um, generosity or empathy. I, I still believe how necessary it is, and I think that really forged in me. And I feel the way my relationships are better when I practice that and the way my life is better when I invest in it. But it is all the more heartbreaking when you're surrounded by people kind of actively gleefully doing the opposite, you know? Yeah. And, and for me, it was like, it was also like the kind of the multicultural influences of these shows too. Um, you know, growing up in a very white area, you're not really exposed <laughs> to a lot of things other than, you know, a, a, a homogenized, boring white culture and mm -hmm. being introduced to things like, I mean, one of my favorite songs still to this day that I have on my Christmas playlist that I love playing for my son now is like the Feliz Navidad from Sesame, the Sesame mm -hmm. Street Christmas when they're ice skating around. And it's just like just being introduced to people of different cultures and races, um, when you might not necessarily have that in your own community, I think is also incredibly important. And when people talk about like, oh, well, this, you know, this television show doesn't speak to me because, you know, it's, it's made by people of a different race than I am or have a different cultural background. It, it's insane to me because it's just like, mm -hmm. don't you want to learn about other people and see like, and have fresh stories and things yeah. that you didn't necessarily know? Uh, you know, in, in the same way that like, I, I don't understand that people who are just perfectly happy to eat at an Applebee's <laughs> when it's like, there's so much better food out there than just, again, this kind of homogenized thing that like, yeah, I get that there's comfort food, but at the same time, like, I don't know, don't you want to be introduced to new different things outside of your own experience? You know, you don't like, of course, like as a little kid sitting in front of the TV, you don't realize like the, the curiosity that they're fostering. Like I remember almost, I could probably storyboard out um, the, like when you went into picture picture on Mr. Rogers and oh. you would see the little Eskimo girl go through her day. And, and I found that like absolutely fascinating. And then um, not too long ago, pre-pandemic, so it feels like forever ago, um, the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor came out about Fred Rogers. Mm -hmm. And me and my friend Darren went to see it, and we just oh. held each other and cried. I was there too, Lisa. I don't remember you being there at all. I just remember <laughs> me and Darren holding each other. 
And I, and I went home to tell my parents about how grateful I was to grow up in Fred Rogers special generation where I think that, um, like where I go, like I by just by my being an, an individual and unique and having a perspective, I am special. And then my Catholic dad turns to me and goes, yeah, but you've got to earn it. <laughs> and and <laughs> there is this turn of phrase that you use in the first issue, um, coddle culture. Mm -hmm. And, and I want you to talk about, um, how our childhood is now being spun to be this thing where it's just like, well, now these people, because their hearts are so open and their minds have, are so open now their brains have fallen out. You know what I mean? And they're, and they are, they're ruining everything by, with these values. Can you, can you speak a little more to that? Well, I, I, I think, I think it's interesting that the generation in advance or sort of our parents, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of on the cusp. So my parents are boomers. Mm -hmm, um, same. Okay. Yeah. Like my parents are sort of the end of the boomer or like, well, my dad, anyway. Um, but uh, I, I consider myself an elder millennial. I'm, yeah, 19, I'm, I'm 1983. I'm Gen X, baby. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, Brad. I'm Gen X too. All right. Um, but I think it's funny, this whole thing of, uh, the elder generation constantly lambasting ours collectively, you know, our, our sort of Venn diagram of our generations as, as being too liberal, too empathetic, too compassionate, whatever the complaint is, but also this thing of the like um, participation trophies. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not the first person to point this out, but like we, we didn't give ourselves that. And like when we were kids and the shows became Captain Planet and, you know, um, and all of the, the various ideological, huggy, emotional, pro-diversity shows uh, of the PBS and, and anything else, we weren't making those television shows as three and four and seven-year-olds. You know what I mean? Like, um, so I find it so strange that there was a whole generation that that softened our childhoods and encouraged some of these these things pushed into our you know the, like the the way they actually changed entertainment in the early 90s and said you can't do toy advertising anymore and it all has to be like educational and social have social value and stuff like this um like th those are decisions made by other people and somehow, like, when it works, <laughs> there's a complaint about it. But I also think, in general, the complaint that we care too much about other people is, like, a psychotic thing that I wish people would hear it come out of their mouths and ask, like, the alternative is to not care about your fellow human beings? Like, that seems, it seems like you're telling on yourself pretty hard. Yeah, also, look at their parents' generation, you know, like, these... <laughs> these weren't the best parents. These weren't great social situations. And, and, you know, I, 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 I think about my, my parents, my in-laws, like you have these stories where their parents weren't great people, didn't know how to take very good care of their children. And it's like, is that kind of what you want? I mean, I don't understand. Isn't that what you were trying to get away from? And that's what you're now, the things that you're saying against this, like, yeah, this anti- 
quote unquote coddle culture. And it's like, okay, so you want to go back to what your parents dismissing you because you're a woman, uh, being free to, to hit you with either a hand or the nearest object. It's just like, it, it doesn't make any sense there. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a very weird thing to be against. On the flip side, I do think there's uh, the thing I find kind of more coddling because uh, personally I feel, I feel challenged all the time in a, in a positive way at the fact that like, I do have to keep learning um, what my blind spots are and where I'm failing to be compassionate, um, you know, to, to find my own blind spots and, and stuff like that. And I don't feel I'm coddling someone when I realize like I'm using ableism in my language or something. And I, and I'm trying to eradicate that from my own language. That's not me coddling them. That's me being challenged to be more considerate and, and to live up to my own values. And I think that's, that's not being coddled and I'm not coddling them. I'm showing respect. What I do think is the, the coddling of our current culture though, is that people can choose a, a newsfeed, choose a social media feed that is only telling you things you agree with. And I think that's people choosing to be coddled. I think people who are just wanting to go into, um, you know, a space that tells them everything they think is right and you don't challenge any of it. Not that you have to constantly, you know, disagree with yourself, but to truly only listen to voices being like, yeah, you're right. And those people should all burn in hell. They're all, you know, they're all human detritus. Like, um, Which is also an argument against... I mean, to me, social media, because it isn't always something you choose, but these algorithms that kind of put you in an echo chamber. So it's like you're you're constantly surrounded by your own <laughs> opinions and not being challenged on them, whether you like it or not. I, I, I could go off all day on how much I despise <laughs> social media. As someone whose day job is often working in social media. Shut your mouth. Let's not talk about that. The cognitive dissonance is not something I'd like to get into right now. Speaking of cognitive dissonance, um, the way that you open issue one is you have a flashback scene to Salutation Street and you have this kind of um, values segment that then plays out through the theme of the issue. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, as you were translating these, these, uh, you know, television, uh, you know, friendly, fluffy characters to their post-democracy iterations, like what were the, what were the values you feel like you had to retain to keep these characters true to who they are? Um, I think, uh, their their primary concerns, right? The the fact that what they always wanted to do was to either educate or protect or care for um, kids and the isolated and um, the excluded or the vulnerable, right? And that I think that um, the fact that their active and complete drive is um, for that person before themselves. Mm -hmm. 
or before anything else. And then it can, and then it can extrapolate in, in different ways for different characters, right? So they, they, we still have quite a tonal um, trail mix of characters, <laughs> um, even as they're united kind of around that mission. We've been having a fairly serious conversation about a comic that is speaking to a lot of real world issues, but it is also a raucous delight of a comic, right? Oh, I'm so glad to hear. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, you know, so you, like you are speaking to so many ideas and concerns that Lisa and I have been navigating since, oh, I don't know, let's say 2016 when our, when we woke up. Um, <laughs> just, and, just, a, just a ballpark, a number. Not yeah, <laughs> yeah. What happened that year? Yeah. Uh, but you've been doing it with, a sense of joy. And I do see a lot of influence from maybe some of those other cartoons. There is a little GI Joe in here. There might be even a little like Rambo animated cartoon. In there as well, um, well and, I'll, yeah. I'll say explicitly one of our, one of the other big influences is actually those like seventies, eighties traveling hero shows. So yes. like your, your a team, your uh, incredible Hulk, your Kung Fu, like all of those uh, Knight Rider, like all those were big either on syndication or at nighttime. So we were kind of blending those two motifs, the, the educational kids show and the traveling action heroes. Right. Trade the A team for the ABC team, right? Exactly. So I'm, I would like to maybe explore the enthusiasm that you have in kind of skewering all these tropes and genres and this political landscape like what is your emotional state as you plow through the the creation process of survival street um yeah go for it jim yeah i i mean <laughs> i for me at least uh james is a much i feel more grounded person and uh <laughs> uh just like, I'm, I'm, I, there's an undercurrent of anger. Like, I'm just like the amount of times that I find myself when he and I are hashing something out, <laughs> just like devolve into a tirade uh, of just, you, you just get so angry about everything that's happening right now. And it's like, for me, it's an, okay, well then the, the flip side of that is like, how do we find the humor in it? How do we find a way to make it fun? So it's not so not so it doesn't make me as angry, but then also like, I don't want people reading this to necessarily be angry because then it's just like, we're, we don't want to get into the echo chamber, right? Of right. what we were talking about before. We want to be able to approach this in a way that is far enough from the horrible day to day that it kind of inspired, that inspired this um, and make it so that it is fun. It is palatable. And, and at the end of it, hopefully it is something that if you hadn't considered a certain point of view, it does make you think a little bit because if you're not entertained by it, uh, if you're not there for the ride, then it, it ultimately is just going to just kind of wash over you and, 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 you know, maybe not, you, you don't walk away maybe with the, the kind of the, the thoughtfulness that we would like you to, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard, but I think for me, it's just like trying to figure out a way to, to deal with that just like simmering rage that again, <laughs> since, Oh, I don't know, 2016 ish uh, is just kind of always like right below the surface. 
Well, and I, and I would say that, you know, Jim and I met doing comedy. We both kind of spent most of our um, college and young adult lives um, doing improv, sketch comedy, um, uh, various things that branch out of that. Um, that's how we met. That's, that's like really our shared instinct and it's our, our coping mechanism for so many things. And that's a big part of why mm-hmm. we wanted to build a world that would let us plug in whatever the nightmare of the day was and blow it up into a satire that lets us point at the, the exact, uh, uh, something about whatever's happening that says like, this is unbelievable to me that, that anyone is really getting behind this because when, when you, when you're for this, hopefully when we blow it up big enough, like putting something under a microscope, you start to see its structure and you can look at it and say, when you're buying into this, you're really saying X, Y, Z and, and no one's currently saying it that way, but that's, that's what it is. And, or, you know, or if, if you accept this principle, we're only right now talking about how it applies to, you know, whatever this, this state, this woman, this country, whatever. But if you apply that principle as a rule, then this can happen, this can happen, this can happen. Um, and I think we wanted to make the points that we didn't think anyone was making, but I hate, for example, like descent into drug abuse movies mm-hmm. because the whole thing is like, yeah, okay, drugs are bad. And now I have to suffer through <laughs> two hours for this point that we all understand. And I don't want to make the equivalent of that socially politically so we put it through this wild blender with comedy and heightening and entertaining violence and um you know our our weird senses of humor and and very bizarre characters who get to bring their own life and surprise and joy and specificity that like changes the story in that hopefully you care about them we do um and, and then it ends up being a whole cocktail, a whole meal that isn't just telling you to eat your vegetables, but the, those vegetables are like blended up inside of um, ice cream and a burger and fries and a toy, you know. And there's something about telling or, or approaching your anger and your frustration using PBS like characters, <laughs> puppets, because it allows you to comment on both sides of the fence, you know, like there's something freeing about having this psychotic spin on Sesame street being your entry point. But I think that is also like a short circuit to like, cause Brad wasn't really raised on Sesame street. No, yo, Joe, yo, Joe. <laughs> um, but like, f- like for me, like seeing like, um, Birdie, for instance, and going like, okay, she has an Ert somewhere. Where's Ert? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I automatically, I automatically, automatically care. And um, I think so much of the fun of this comic as well is the like aesthetic of it and mm-hmm. um, the art of Abelay Kuzinov. Yeah. And, and um, can you tell us what that partnership is like? Jim? Yeah, I mean, he's 
I, I was just talking about him last night with my wife. Um, I'm trying to remember what her name is. Came is up that I was just like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, my brain is full of uh, holes like Swiss cheese after the past couple of years. Uh, no, but like I, what, I, I, he, I was telling. Oh, I know what it was. I was describing. One of the characters uh, won't spoil anything. Who ends up going on, uh, you know, a Fox News program uh, and is kind of like tricked into this thing, and and you know, they dress her up and like she's like wearing lipstick and weird clothes that don't fit her, and just like the way he, the specificity that he draws, uh, and and the the emotion that he's able to get through. Oh my or to me are, are fascinating. Like one of my favorite moments in the first book is, you know, when uh, Herbert tells everyone like, we're going out loud and the look on his face, like I just, I, I, I've, I've been an art director for a good two decades. Like I've worked with a ton of illustrators. Um, I, and, and he is just, he's so talented. He's so fast. He's so funny he's uh, he's just like he was an amazing find uh he is our unicorn and mm-hmm. you know I, he is i i cannot imagine that that he is not going to be a, a big commodity um once people are, are are able to take a look at these books yeah i and i i can't stress enough like <clears throat> i really liked his art he had drawn nothing that looked like what we thought this book had to look like, but I just, I, I thought his storytelling was great. His, his characterization was great. And from the beginning, I was like, this is a kind of a weird concept and it's really balancing a lot of things like tonally and stylistically. His first character sketches were so dead on perfect that we had like the only notes we had were like, oh, we have to pick what colors they should be. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. he, f- like from the beginning, he has, it It truly, like Jim and I did a ton of work kind of developing this before he came on board. But he uh, was 100% tuned into the exact same wavelength and has just added and enriched and like, you know, perfectly matched um, that he really was like the ideal partner and has... Um, communicated, like Jim was saying, more emotion, more humor through puppets, which he's not had to draw before. Um, so you just got to assume you don't necessarily have that same like muscle memory of how to raise an eyebrow or, you know, what, like the, the way the uh, architecture changes indicate something emotionally. He's just found it so fast and has been amazing. So yeah, I I hope and we also, do more of this, and I want to hang on to him forever. Yeah, like and also like how he knows how to tell a story. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not as deep into con- like James is, uh, you know, he's he's the driving force. He's you've been doing this a hell of a lot longer and, and more deeply than I have. I'm grateful that I get to come along on the ride with you, and I, I love our partnership. Um, but like for me, you know, when we first started writing our image book. Uh, what ten years ago now? Uh, oh God! Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Oof. Um, you know, it was a learning curve for me of just like, oh well, you know, I'm 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 used to writing scripts uh, that are like TV or you know digital shorts and and, and aren't necessarily uh, comic book scripts, and so I had to learn a lot about like, oh well, this is kind of how you know it makes sense to tell a story sequentially and to make sure that you're you know 
not losing the audience and it's very linear, um, but also like, you know, has room for, for fun and, and can surprise. And there's been a couple artists that we've worked for that like get the hang of it and some that, you know, struggle a little bit more. And I, we've never had to give him a note about the way that he's telling the story or the way that he's doing his sequential art because he, he yeah, it's just there. I have experienced a lot of like spoofs on uh, on Sesame Street and the Muppets, and a lot of them have left left me feeling kind of like scarred and scandalized <laughs> and, and hurt and hurt because um, these characters, yeah, yeah, these characters are are sacred to me and they're special yeah. to me. And um, but and what I really appreciate about your comic is that there that reverence. And that gratitude is still so present in their struggle. Yeah, yeah. Like I like. Uh, there's this one moment. There is um, there is a character named Tony the the troll, and he is an Oscar the Grouch spoof, and he does something, and he says like. I've always been a cautionary tale anyway. And I was like, that is the deepest read of Oscar the Grouch. Like I was moved. Like, do you find yourself like um, accessing a different, uh, like a different, a different level with these characters that, that you, you didn't have before? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I think um, we have, uh, you know, we have analogs in mind for each of the characters and, and they're, you know, we, we try to have it pretty clear. I think that's part of the fun, but that they are really different enough that, you know, kind of, we had to add our own dimensions and differences, not just for legal purposes. Um, (laughs) But also I think, you know, storytelling, because you're saying, well, you know, anyone who's on a show, they would have their character on the show and then they would have who they are in real life. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, on top of that, you have everyone's gone through just heartbreak and, and disaster for years. So so who are they now? And just what's specific to our characters. And it is interesting, you know, kind of the places we were inspired to go. Some are more something we wanted to add on and have someone represent. And other things were things we started to think about. I will, I will spoil one thing in issue three, unless Jim tells us to cut this. Um, But in issue three is kind of the like long, dark night of the soul for hippie, the giant hippo. Mm -hmm. And there's this one throwaway line hippie has, which was they just wanted to grow old and find uh, another giant pink hippo. They could live out their life with, but since they're the last of their species, that was never going to happen now anyway. Mm -hmm. And, thinking about some of those characters from those shows who are uh, anomalous and you think about like, Oh, well, if, if, you know, if, if, uh, I don't know, a goose mates for life or whatever. And I don't know if that's true. Don't at me. But uh, uh, if you're the last goose, like what a, what an existential heartbreak and, and you just have to put your, your emotion and your life into something else. And so, yeah, like, Oh no, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, so that was one of those things where it made me start to think about some of those characters in a different way. And there's some dimensions like that, that I think 
we hope relate to either make us care about these characters more. It certainly made us feel for them once we start thinking about their reality. Um, Or maybe it strikes some other nerve. It speaks to some other things with people that maybe they, they can feel for. Yeah. Like again, when, you know, James talking about us coming from an improv background, one of the biggest lessons, you know, everyone always talks about yes. And right. Of just like, Oh, somebody suggests something and you say yes. And then you add to it is yes, it's a core tenant. But for me, one of the biggest lessons that I learned was if that, then what, mm-hmm. which helps you create a three-dimensional character, right? It's like, okay, well, if, if my character is this, if I behave a certain way, well, what does that mean? Where does that lead me in a very realistic three-dimensional way? And so when you take kind of these, you know, just very surface level descriptors of these these characters and it's like okay yeah oscar the grouch or you know in our case tony the troll is is curmudgeonly okay well why and if that's how he is how does that affect the rest of his interactions with the other people with his life with how he deals with you know the kids that he's trying to help like it just spins you off into such detail and for me and you know and for james like it's that detail that's important because otherwise it just becomes a two-dimensional sketch. And that's fine and funny for certain, you know, types of comedy, but it's never really interested me all that much. Like, I think it's easy. And so I, I feel like, you know, the people that are going to look at this and be like, oh, you took Sesame Street and made it, made it edgy. Like, oh, cool. Like, good for you. And it's like, no, that's, that's really not what we did. We tried to take these characters that mean something to us, that, that impart, impart a certain lesson and way of looking at the world and just again spun it out into this wild kind of satire to really like james said look under the microscope and see like what what is that saying what is what are we trying to say about a certain issue um and and how we can you know the the beauty of satire is you, you step far enough away from something and you're able to see it more clearly as opposed to being right in the middle of it um so yeah i just i i like that idea of just you know birdie what makes her so why is she so practical why is she so why is she the the kind of the brains of this operation um and it just prevents them from then becoming this you know two-dimensional sketch that no you you can't really identify with i mean it's 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 any kind of prestige tv you watch where it's like tony soprano yeah a horrible murdering thug but you also feel sympathy for him like that's that's what's interesting as opposed to just like oh you know, this character is evil and they suck. And, you know, where's, where's the drama in that? I also feel like, you know, we, um, we, we, part of why we are interested in them as like, as this whole dynamic of these kind of kids television show puppets being the heroes is they just embody all the generosity and empathy that we're saying this world no longer has when it's just capitalism for capitalism. Totally. And so it is, they are the heroes for that world. And so when we started and we said, well, what's a, what if we do a story set in the world where all, every lobbyist gets everything they want Hmm. and you don't have rights every, they can charge you for everything. Um, you know, like it, we go, we go granular down everyone. It's, it's a feudal state. You, everything is company towns and they own your life. Um, 
the opposite of that is what? And it's, you're right. It's like socialist children's television. It is. And so, so they were the right thing for that. And unlike something like, you know, uh, um, uh, full respect to Peter Jackson. But when I first heard about Meet the Feebles, I was very excited. Mm. And then I did not enjoy it because it was just about debasing something like the Muppets and making it as gross or as shock as possible. And I don't know, like whatever little bits might have been entertaining in there were like lost for me in the barrage of just trying to be off-putting. And I didn't find it particularly clever um, or illuminating, mm-hmm. right? And instead, we picked them not to be edgy or shocking, but because we felt it was illuminating to take these people who represent truly the opposite values of the world we're afraid we're slipping into. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason. But then also, um, it's hilarious <laughs> to like when you when you accept it as a reality the specifics of the fact that there are these things and they are you know people or a, a species that is different and it's just you're then playing with like alf rules or something mm-hmm. like that and uh it just opens up like this whole comedic um toy box that jim and i have not played with and new specifics to make new jokes and when you've been doing comedy for 20 30 years it's so exciting to have like fresh ground Mm. to to pull from and so um it it was kind of a perfect storm and it you know jim and i talk a lot and we have a lot of ideas we've considered but the ones we've put out into the world are usually ones where we can't stop thinking about because we realize it's a perfect storm where the characters are the theme, are the world. Like everything is leaning into each other in a way where, um, you know, hopefully everything works together and it's more satisfying. Well, I think that if you can convince both Lisa and myself to enjoy it, where Lisa has a profound preciousness towards these <laughs> types of characters, and I have zero preciousness <laughs> characters uh but also i'm 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 navigating that same kind of hellscape that you guys are called america mm-hmm. uh i i i think it's, it's it's kind of uh amazing that that lisa and i both enjoyed it because i was really worried that lisa was not going to enjoy it uh because we have watched Meet the Feebles. We have watched Happy Time Murders. And Lisa has come away from it pretty pissed. I love Conan O'Brien, but I will never forgive him for vomiting Kermit. I just never, <laughs> I never will. Yeah. I never will. Right, right. So there's a lot more um, emotional and narrative uh what's a word i'm looking for investment investment yes, with yes. survival street than we than than you might be expecting when you just see the cover or hear the title or hear the premise yeah. um now with that all being said uh we want our audience to seek out the comic it comes out from dark horse comics on august 3rd uh just around the corner and I would like them to seek you two out. Are they able to find you on these dreaded socials and engage <laughs> with you in a conversation? Um, m- me, but not Jim. Um, <laughs> Surprise. And, and Abelay is also there too. He should have more followers. He only has like 500 followers on Twitter, which is a crime. 
Um, oh, and and our letterer Taylor Esposito. Who yes, will, uh, Taylor Esposito killed it. Is fantastic. Um, Ellie Wright, our colorist, um, really both yes. both of them are absolute pros. Have been totally dedicated to this book and have done fantastic work and really jumped on board right away and have just been fantastic collaborators. Um, Agreed. Jim avoids social media. Um, but I am on Twitter. I'm most active at James Asmus, A-S-M-U-S. Um, and then on Instagram, someone got to it before me. So I'm at James underscore Asmus. <laughs> um, uh, but Abelay is on Twitter too at his name, Abelay Kusinov. Um, I don't know if that's in the notes, but A-B-Y-L-A-Y. Yes, we'll have links in the show notes. Oh, great, great. Um, yeah, and Ellie, I'm doing a Ellie's live on Twitter. Twitch. Ellie Wright Art uh, on Twitter, and Taylor Esposito, our letterer, is Taylor Espo on Twitter. And then also, if they were curious about other books that James and I have done together, we have our company, Future Skeletons. Uh, so you can go to futureskeletons.com and uh, see a couple other books that we have up there. Yeah. Hell yeah. Are you two getting back into uh, the Comic Con circuit? Are you going to be mm, at San Diego? Brad, you bring such up a very relevant question. <laughs> I. So I uh, don't always go to conventions. I'm kind of one of these. I, I don't like crowds. Uh, mm-hmm. A pandemic did nothing <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, so I was actually really excited this year. You know, we have this book. I'm so proud of it. I do think it's the best thing James and I have ever done together. Uh, and so I was really excited to promote it and talk about it. I actually tapped a local artist here in Los Angeles to make puppets for me. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so I was like really looking forward to Emerald City because that's that's always kind of been my favorite convention to mm. go to. It's like just the right size. Seattle's a cool right. town. It's just a great convention. And then last week they changed their health regulations and mm-hmm. now you do not have to have a vaccination you don't have to wear masks and it's like we're still in the middle of a pandemic like i just got covid y'all and i just got out of the yeah. hospital yesterday <laughs> yeah my four-year-old finally just got his first round of vaccinations like this is still a thing like and now i can't go i don't mm-hmm. want to go i'm not risking myself to go to a super spreader event and it's maddening yeah, yeah, yeah. We feel you. We feel you. We will be at San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> fingers crossed. And, our well, and I, um, I am doing C two E two. Assuming I survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be at C two E two. Apparently, once I recover, I'll be immune for three months. So hey, let's. That's perfect timing for me to promote the book. <laughs> um. I'm not sure if I'm going to do Emerald City if Jim's not going, but I will be doing Rose City here in Portland where I live. Nice. Um, so at least C2E2 and Rose City are, are locked in for me. All right. Well, good luck, everybody. Thank you for coming on <laughs> Comic Book Couples Counseling. It was a, a true joy to chat Survival Street with you two. Thank you. you. Too, and I, well. promise, I promise the book is funnier than we were in the interview. It's just- <laughs> It's just how we're wired. We just like save it for the writing. We are recording this on 
on uh, Independence Day, and we're all in a place. We're all in a place. We're in it together, and it's and it just, it's just really different. Yeah. And on that note, have a great day, y'all. <laughs> yeah, and there you go. Thanks again to James and Jim talking about Survival Street. Lisa, are you now going to spoil what relationship was revealed to you that rocked your world? I absolutely am not. What? Jim and James would be so mad at us, and, <laughs> and we want them to come back. But wasn't that a great tease? Aren't you guys intrigued? Aren't you going to buy all of the issues right now? Yes, August 3rd, the first issue comes from Dark Horse Comics. Like we said in the beginning, the Zero issue is out there now that you can read. Links in the show notes. Please go give it a gander. I think you'll have a good time with with it, but it's really in that first issue where everything came together for me personally. So on August 3rd, when you're in your comic book shop or buying your books digitally, seek out Survival Street. I really am looking forward to more issues of Survival Street, which neither of us thought would be the case no. going into this. James and Jim really had invested in my trust Yes, in those first couple of issues and now I just have to see it through till the end. Yeah, they won Lisa's trust and I am amazed and in awe of their skill. So I am very excited for more Survival Street and I'm excited for more Comic-Con coverage from Comic Book Couples Counseling. So this episode is out in the world. Share it with your friends and then on Tuesday, we're going to drop our conversation with Matt Kent talking about Flux House Books from Dark Horse Comics. That conversation is something a little different for us. It's not so much about a particular story. It's about what Matt Kent is doing with Flux House Books and how he is challenging and changing the delivery system of comics and what a comic can and should be. And then on Thursday, the first official day of Comic-Con, we're dropping our conversation with Scott Snyder talking about Canary, Barnstormers, and Dudley Datsun and the Forever Machine, plus a whole lot more. That, like, Scott loves to talk. You know, Scott will say like, hey, I've got 30 minutes. Let's chit chat for a while. And we'll be like, OK, we got to plan 30 minutes. We've got 30 minutes worth of conversation. And then Scott's like, no, let's talk for like an hour and 20. And that's what we did. And it is wonderful. You're really going to want to listen to that conversation. And I think we have some exclusive news that mm. comes right out of that chat. Some news I was not expecting. And I am crazy excited about so here for it yes so here for it so that's on thursday and then we're going to close out comic-con with our conversation with tom king and elsa chartier talking about love everlasting we've read the first five issues the first issue is about to come out from image comics in august and i think it's a really special comic book especially if you're a comic book couples counseling listener Oh my goodness, that first, there's like a moment in the first <laughs> issue that gave me like the full body creeps. Lisa was reading it, it in I was bed. like rocked. <laughs> she was like, Ugh. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I, I love that first issue so much. And by the way, you know, Love Everlasting is currently available through Tom and Elsa's Substack, and you can read those first four issues for free right now. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's what I did. 
And uh, I loved it. Yeah. So that is going to do it for us today, friends. The road to Comic-Con has begun. Follow us on all social medias at CBCC Podcast using the hashtag CBCC at SDCC. There you're going to find all our photos and videos and all that rad stuff, all that cool coverage, because I think it's going to be a really wild year this year, Lisa. We already have a couple of things oh planned God. that are like, what, really? Yeah, I know. Us? No I, way. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I'm so excited. This episode of Comic Book Couples Counseling was brought to you by the letters W, the letter T, and the letter F. What the <laughs> F is happening at Comic-Con this year? I am so excited. Brad, where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? Oh my goodness. You can find me on all social medias at Mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Aw, that's so sweet. I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Don't worry, along with our 1,000 intros we have to do, we are also going to do our Sandman episode. Yes, yes we are. It is all happening. It's all happening this weekend. We're recording it right now, and we are stressed. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, which is in two days, <laughs> keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.